Welcome to A Walk in My Stilettos, where our goal is to help you walk in your greatness. I'm your host, McKinney Smith. Hey, Faith Walkers. Thank you for joining us today on the A Walk in My Stilettos podcast, where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but as a mindset coach, what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony. And since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today we have Keisha Lee. She's a singer, songwriter, and performer with 20 years of experience teaching music. Keisha is the owner and operator of the Instrumental Voice School of Music and Holistic Center. Her teachings go far beyond book theory to finding meaning in her deep personal experiences. 10 years of physical struggle that threatened to derail her career have led her down the path to becoming the holistic vocal coach that she is today. Keisha has sang at former U.S. President Barack Obama's inauguration. She's open for Movado, Alkaline, iOctane, and more. She sang for Montreal's 1945 The Band, which has been recognized as one of the most influential special event performance groups on the scene. So please welcome to the show, Keisha Lee. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, thank you so much for agreeing to come on and share your story with us. I truly appreciate you. Thank you for having me. I like to start the show with an icebreaker question. And that question is because as women, we have so many different titles that we go by and all these different hats that we wear that we give all this significance to, but something that we don't give enough recognition to is our name. So my question to you, Keisha, is do you know what your name means? Yes, my name is African name and it means wisdom. I love it. My father was obsessed with African name growing up. What did you want to be when you were a little girl? (laughs) I've always wanted to sing. I've always wanted to sing. I didn't think it was something I thought of in the background. It wasn't something that I thought of pursuing until I was in my late teens. Mm -hmm. Um, But I always thought that I wanted to be involved in music. And um, I did start playing piano at six, but I just, I don't know, I didn't have a picture really of what my adulthood would look like as a child. I was just being a child. And if you would ask me then, I would say I would want to be a singer. (laughs) And you are that today. So (laughs) share with us your story, the evolution of how you got to this point to where you are today. Well, at... 15 or 16, I think it was 15 really, I started to, uh, someone had invited my parents to a church. And so when I was there, they asked, you know, I, I can't remember how they found out I played piano. Actually, no, I was playing piano. <laughs> and that's how they found out because I, I snuck away to a piano in another room. And so they eventually, after being there for, I think it was only oh, two weeks, they put me on the piano for the church playing behind the pastor's wife. And through watching her left hand, I learned how to improvise and play by ear, which was necessary in that type of church setting, Pentecostal wow. church setting. And um, eventually she heard me singing in the background once I, you know, weeks went by and I started to sing the songs that I liked, et cetera. So she said, well, you can sing as well. So they put a mic at the piano and I started to develop a less structured way of exploring my talent because at at that point I had been taking classical piano lessons since I was six years old and I just stopped at that point and so it was a good time to branch off into another realm of music so 
I built, I built from there and um, eventually she decided she wanted to take over the prayer ministry and she wanted me to take over the music. And so she left and um, and I became the head of the music division at the church. After that, I decided to go to university for music and I, I did what I did at church. I played piano and I sang and I, I studied jazz in piano and voice at York University. And I also started to, I auditioned for the Nathaniel Deck Carell which was it was and still is, I believe, uh, Canada's number one Negro spirituals choral group. Mm-hmm. And I they knew I was an amateur at that point. I hadn't had any classical singing training, but Brainerd Blyden Taylor, being the visionary and gracious person that he is, he said he liked my voice and that he would like it if I would take some lessons with someone he suggested and then in some time joined them. So I did that and took lessons with Ali Garrison. And and then from there, it was about eight months later that he actually allowed me to join the roster. So we I toured all over Canada and the States with the Corel. We all actually went to France as well for those four days. I definitely developed developed as a professional musician in that time. And uh, from there, I went through some health struggles based on two car accidents I had within the same year. And and it it changed the course of everything. And I was walking with a cane and um, singing was, although I was putting my everything into it and I was getting the job done, I was a lead soloist at that time. um, It was a painful thing and people knew I was in a lot of pain. And so Brainerd had called a meeting with me and asked, you know, said to me, "It it is painful to watch you get the work done as much as you do get the work done. And I was very upset with him to say this to me at the time. And he said, you know, what cost is this to you? It's too great of a cost. You need to focus on your healing. And like I said, I was upset. I was mad. I I didn't understand why he wanted to take away this job because at the time I was teaching, I was teaching piano. By that time, I had started teaching voice as well because my voice teachers said, you know, you are a natural teacher. So everything that we've taught you, even though it's been a short time, what would be considered a short time for most people to become a voice teacher? Because I had this natural teacher ability within me, they knew I could be a teacher and they sent Mm -hmm. me some of their younger students. And so... um, I felt like life was going good. I had my teaching job. I had my chorale singing job. And what more do I want? I I just felt I was satisfied at that point. And so when Brainerd let me go, which I consider he let me go, he thinks it was a mutual decision, but I consider (laughs) him letting me go. (laughs) (laughs) I was very angry and I was already on a lot of heavy, heavy narcotics. I mean, looking back, I I was very spaced. I was I was heavily drugged. I was on the heaviest narcotics that Canada had to offer at the time, and I know that that was on the fentanyl, and the Percocets, and the and uh, just all Dilaudids, uh, just everything, methadones. I was on so many different things and getting wow. weekly injections from pain specialist clinic. I was just a legal drug addict. There were times when I couldn't drive myself to the clinic, and wh- whoever was around me at the time couldn't get me there, and I. Oof, why not just skip a week? It's every week. And, you know, I was going to be home anyway or whatever. No, I would take the bus to the clinic myself, which was very dangerous. And I would have to hide from the nurses that I was leaving myself to take Mm. the bus back home because you weren't allowed to do that. Right. But I didn't care. I just wanted to see the white stuff go in my veins and be knocked out and just have that high for that 24, 48 hours, however long it had lasted until the next time. And and like I said, this is all 
um, this is the legal medical system at the time, which I'm sure all the Hawaii has developed is still a, can be a very dangerous one even today, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to really be careful what you're doing. And sometimes when you are a person who is in pain, the way in which even though all people in pain are absolutely going through what they're going through. I was going through what I was going through. It was a very real situation, but I wasn't able to see any positive side at all. Or I wasn't grabbing onto any sort of strength. I was just dwelling in all weakness. And the truth be told, you are never 100% full of weakness. You have some sort of strength there. Mm-hmm. But when you're that person in pain, all you can see is the weak side, right? Mm-hmm. So that leads doctors to give you more and give you more and give you more. So there's, um, there's a duality that's happening there. At a certain point, I started to um, get heavily involved into Rastafari as much as I could, as I thought I could here in Toronto and Canada. And I um, eventually, I wanted to, something in my mind told me that, oh, you know, I have to get off all these medications, et cetera. It wasn't helping me. And I, I wanted to come off of it. And I did come off of everything. And I did it cold turkey. And But I did that by drinking and smoking very, very heavily. I was off what the doctors wanted me to take, and I was on, you know, just whatever I can get myself on the street. And it was really just alcohol and weed, right? Mm-hmm. So I went through that time period, and then eventually I knew that I, I was just not in a healthy state. And as much as I was very much into my food, and I was not a full vegetarian, I was turning into a vegetarian at the time. I was on a healthier path. I had some help still from... Um, one of my past vocal teachers who had, this lady was amazing, Angela Haleshka, she gave me $3,000 just to get treatment, uh, chiropractic treatment, massage therapy, um, uh, whatever the clinic had, had to offer to help me. Because there were days I'd walk into her place and she says, Keisha, you look green. And I never told her, and she she must have known, I never told her how much medications I was on or how much I was smoking and drinking, but I was abusing marijuana. I don't think marijuana is a bad thing to this day. I do not think it's a bad thing, but the abuse of anything is bad. Mm -hmm. And it's not that it was just marijuana. It was mixed with, um, it was mixed with cigarette as well, which is very toxic. Mm -hmm. So it was just a really, um, it was a dangerous situation, and um, and it was evident to people around me by the, the, even the color of my skin. So, so um, before you go on, I want people to just understand, when you had the two car accidents in the one year, mm-hmm. you ended up with, was it five slip discs? Yes, there were five herniated discs, which means I, that <laughs> the, the discs right around the spine were bulging, and not just a part of it, the entire, right around the entire spine were bulging. There were three in my lower back and two in my neck. Yeah. So I wanted you to let them understand clearly how deep of pain that you were in, because I know people that have had one slip disc and can barely walk Yeah, and the level of pain that they're in. So you had five. Yeah. Okay. Carry on. And what that what was happening there, the reason I walked to the cane, sometimes my left leg would give out. Sometimes I was just putting sugar, which I don't consume sugar anymore, but sometimes I was just putting sugar in my tea and I would miss the cup and I'm looking directly at it, but I would still miss the cup because Mm. there would be like the pain coming down from my neck down to my right arm just wouldn't allow me to get the sugar into the cup. 
it was a very, very painful period. It was definitely a very, very painful period. And alongside that, when you were going through something like that, that is so real. Which I tried to touch on a little bit is there's an emotional side to it that you cannot escape. You feel you feel hopeless. You feel weak. You feel you, anything in the name of upliftment or strength is just not in your psyche at that time. Mm-hmm. And when it does come to you, that's the miracle. That's something angelic work when that does come to you. So after the couple of years of the heavy smoking and drinking being off of the narcotics, I decided I wanted to move to Jamaica and I knew that it was something that nobody would understand and it would, everyone would think I was going crazy. So I didn't tell anyone that that's what I was doing. I just left. I My grandfather had died and then I was there for a little bit and I decided I wanted to be back and I just said I was going on a trip. And I left. I didn't bring much. I didn't care. I just, I packed up. I had a, my own place. I packed up my place and moved home and packed everything in my parents' basement. And then I took my trip. At this point, you know, there was a settlement, et cetera, that allowed me to do what I wanted to do. And they had deemed me catastrophic at the time. So it was quite a bit of money at the time. And, and so I went to Jamaica and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to Jamaica to heal and to get better. And within a month or two, it was just near in the beginning. I I mean, I didn't go down there with my cane, but I was still not um, walking very, um, I was, wasn't walking very far without pain, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's really unheard of for me to walk more than a minute and not need to sit down or feel like, okay, that's it for the day. Mm-hmm. And so within a month or two, I was walking all over halfway through, all over Jamaica. To, I didn't even. I didn't want no one to drive me nowhere. I didn't want anyone to. I didn't want to take cabs. I didn't want to. And not that I didn't, but I just. I couldn't believe how much I could walk without pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was. Um, it was a joyful time for me. And eventually, I had my own place there. I started to build my life, and you know, just being there, I couldn't help but be involved in the music scene because I'm. I'm naturally I'm a musician. I had done some stuff before I left for Jamaica, so you know, tried to promote some of those things. Some people tried to do some remix stuff. Eventually, there was a video I had done on on Hype TV down there, and also the radio Irie FM was playing a couple of my songs, and people in my area were getting to know me or recognize me. It was nice that I was there. I found my healing, and also I was learning more about Rastafari, and I and I also had some music playing on the radio. I just felt like life was good. After a year of being there and money dwindling and not finding my way in making enough money to survive, I said to myself, it was time to move back home for a bit. And I literally thought it was going to be for a bit because although I'm born in Toronto, I mean, both my parents are Jamaican. And as a child, I went to school in Jamaica. My parents moved back. But I felt like my second home, Jamaica, was my first home. Mm-hmm. And that I, that's where I needed to be because that's where I was happy and healthy. In moving back to Toronto, I looked for work everywhere in the world and literally sending out emails to every bar, restaurant, conference center, whatever, to see where I could sing so I could make some money. I did start, I did get a small little factory job at the time for a month and a half, I think it was just to make some money, quick money, so I could head back to Jamaica. And I did go back. I had to kind of 
clear up things a little bit. Where my stuff was at, I needed to move it because when I left, I was really, really broke. So I was staying in at Kimana Stables in Portmore. One of the elders let me stay in one of the offices sleeping on a couch. And that's where I became a raw vegan as well because I had no choice. There was no stove there. Wow. (laughs) So he had kept my stuff. And so I had needed to go back to pick up my stuff and move it somewhere else. And so I found a nice place um, in Red Hills and, and I moved my stuff from the stables to Red Hills so that when I came back, because I knew I was going back to work for a little bit, then come back, then at least I was coming back to my own spot again. I didn't want to stay with my family at the time because they couldn't understand my movements, which were qu- very questionable. So I did that. I moved my stuff and I came back. And within a couple of weeks of being back in Toronto, January 2012, I got a call from Montreal saying, come to Montreal to sing for the uh, Valentine's Week. And it was on Crescent Street and a, a restaurant called Debbie, an Indian restaurant. So I took a mega bus out there. And on a Tuesday, they called. It was Thursday I got there. I stayed with some people who I had only known from Facebook at the time, from online radio, etc. And they let me stay in their extra room and I bounced around a little bit because what happened was after the week they asked me if I could stay another week and another week and at the time I mean I just got back from Jamaica I didn't have any a solid job yet I wasn't teaching it this time so I said sure I could stay and then when I get back I'll just you know rebuild and and then get back to Jamaica the goal was always to get back to Jamaica (laughs) (laughs) and so that just it spiraled out into a life in Montreal it spiraled out into seven years in Montreal wow Um, it never stopped. It kept building. And I'm very grateful for that time because I really grew. Uh, although I had had a professional music experience, I developed an entire other side of being a professional musician that I had no idea about. So I was able, I, I gigged for myself three times a week at diff- various places, at Debbie Restaurant, Piano Rouge Lounge, and House of Jazz. And also the last three years of Montreal, I was, uh, like you had said in the bio, I, I was with 1945, the band. I'd never used in-ear monitors before. I, the big corporate, of the biggest corporate events the city puts on. I was a part of the big hospital galas with this group. I was, and I'm still so grateful for that experience. It broadened my entire spectrum of what I wanted in life. Because I think back to when I was in the Nathaniel at Corel and upset with Brainer for letting me go because I thought my life was complete. I had at that time I thought, oh, I'm teaching. I have a professional you know, music job and I have my own little place in Scarborough. Good to go. And not to say that that those weren't good things. They were great. But I with 1945, I just became part of bigger events on a more regular basis mm-hmm. and uh, around a different set of people that I wasn't able to uh, see myself with at another time. And so the the mind upliftment that I received by being in that group is incredible. It was a very sad thing to leave Montreal. I did not want to leave, but my parents had asked me to come back home to Toronto so that I could uh, help them out. And I, I knew, I felt within my spirit that that's what I needed to do. Again, I had felt like I was built. I had a nice life in Montreal. I really built up more than I had imagined previous to that. I felt at that point it was okay because as long as my parents were okay, I could rebuild myself anywhere. I mean, I I lived a full life in Jamaica. I lived a full life in Montreal. I've been in Toronto before, and I'm coming back. It's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I could we just start all over again, again and again. The people who gave me life on this earth need my attention, and that was 
what was important. And at that point, I would say first two years into being in Montreal, I was still battling some of the um, medical issues that I had been through 10 years previous. It was exactly mm -hmm. 10 years at that point. But the what happened was the healing I received in Jamaica, it um, it stuck with me. It, of course, the, the physical surroundings did help me immensely. Being in the sun 24-7, the heat and the food. I and mean, the salt every, water. <laughs> in the, yes, of course. Mm -hmm. Everything, let's just say like ginger, have you had ginger from Canada, no matter how organic it wants to be. Mm -hmm. And ginger from anywhere in Jamaica is stronger. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. So the level of natural livity that I was able to embrace really did help my healing. But it also pushed my mental state to a state of a healing state as well. That um, now my mind was able to comprehend healing anywhere because mm -hmm. I, although it was that those first two years in Montreal, I got to say it was hard, but I was able to hold on and build up. And I would say it was a, just a lot of mind work. Yoga was a big part of um, keeping my body, you know, agile so I could keep going. Definitely. I like working out is something I can never stop doing. If today I stop working out and I mean, I'm not a crazy bodybuilder or anything like that. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a regular person. I work out for a little bit. I stop for a little bit. I work out for a little bit. I stop for a little bit. But as long as I have a certain level of um, muscle physical activity, mm -hmm. yeah, around my back, etc., then I, I think I'm. What's happening is I'm the muscle is stopping the my discs from actually slipping out. Mm -hmm. And when I do stop for, I would say at the two week mark of stopping, then my left hip goes out of place. To today, if I stop for two weeks, my left hip will go out of place. And then I wow. know, okay, okay, we're going back. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I know I have to, you know, do some squats or, you know, get on the Smith machine or, you know, do some yoga stretches, et cetera, to get myself back. And I don't have to do much, but I have to do something. something. So I, then it became a matter of what did I want in life? Did I want to be sick or did I want to be healed? You mm -hmm. know, it just became, once I knew how to physically keep myself to a certain level, then it was just keeping my mind at a certain level, which I had learned in I had learned in Jamaica, and there was a continuation and um, a test happening in Montreal. I'm happy to say that I passed the test. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like going from being addicted to narcotics and walking with a cane to today being drug free and cane free. And yeah. I know you were telling me before that now you're able to dance for like two hours on stage when you're performing. Yeah. Those are beautiful blessings. Yeah. It's the, I remember that first few months of 1945, we, that's it. We were doing two hour sets and we have to sing and dance and keep smiling. And uh, a lot of times, you know, I, I really give thanks for a lady named Shelly Stevens, who was another singer on 1945. And she would, she would just look over at me the other end of the stage and just, she'd give me this great fake <laughs> smile, like, keep going. <laughs> Don't you dare frown. We are getting paid for this, you know, vibe, you know, and it was, um, that, that was just amazing that she would do that for me every time. Cause sometimes I, I can't control my face. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. 
And mm-hmm. um, but we we had to do it. We had to dance in heels. And um, after it was it was painful at first. And the beginning was mostly weekends, and and then I'd just be toast for the week, other than my students. And then it just kept my body open. Movement of the body is so important. That alone mm-hmm. will keep your body going, no matter how stiff you are. You know, and it helped to build up more strength too. So, you know, now I can dance and sing in heels and, and this is coming from someone who couldn't walk for a minute mm-hmm. <laughs> without major pain. And I don't feel pain now when I dance and sing in heels. I get tired. Amen. Wow, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I love so that. What would you say inspires you the most about what you do? I love to make people feel good. I love for people to um, connect. I'm looking at how I can do that. I guess as I, I grow and mature more and evolve, I start to look at different aspects of the human mind. But I like when people can connect with the different messages. And that not it's not necessarily religious or conscious messages, mm-hmm. but Sometimes it's just, you know, just love songs that people connect with and or, you know, just other other things in life that people connect with and make them smile or or make them sad. And it makes them happy to know that somebody else experienced that or can understand that they're not the only ones or that sort of thing is still upliftment and mm-hmm. um, and, pe- and people still need it. Know that somebody understands your struggle, no matter how trivial it may seem, is an upliftment. Mm-hmm. And yes, there's always someone going through worse. Some of the things, emotional pain is important to accept and work through, um, mm-hmm. whether it be because of a man, a woman, um, because of, you know, medical history or because of whatever, whatever aspect of life brings you there, you know. And um, so I like that if people are listening to my music or watching me perform on stage, if I bring a smile to their face, that's is the greatest blessing to me mm. because I know that they felt something and, and their spirit has been uplifted in some way. And I think it's some of the non-traditional ways of uplifting someone is, is of importance mm-hmm. in this time, because I think a lot of times we're focused on religious and conscious things, which is very important, but there's life beyond those diameters that's real and that what people go through. And that needs to be addressed. And it does come full circle too, but sometimes people can't see it like that. If people can, from wherever they're at, be happy and smile, enjoy themselves, then that's the blessing. That brings me joy. When you speak about how the music and the reaction that people get to the music and the joy that it brings, it makes me think of Bob Marley and how his music internationally and no matter what language brings joy and that people understand and get a positive feeling from. Yes. I love that. What advice would you give to another woman that's suffering from pain right now? Okay. You gotta know, you may, you gotta know you, I hope you know that there is a light at the end of your tunnel. Everything you're going through is to build you stronger because there's another side of you that maybe you don't even realize is there, that life is trying to show you that your creator wants you to know about. And it's going to push you forward and it's going to inspire somebody else. It's going to lift somebody else up while lifting you up. And so don't give up. No matter what, don't give up. And also make sure that you're viewing yourself in the most positive, the most upful light that you can. Even mm-hmm. if even if all you see is darkness, write a story, be a fiction novelist then. Consider yourself, you know, a novelist. Write your story as if it was a Cinderella story or, you know, Disney was writing it and hold on to that. 
and and don't feel ridiculous about it. I think that last part that you said definitely resonated with me because a lot of the workshops that I've been doing lately are on self-image and especially to women and getting them to understand the two different images that we have of ourselves, the image on the outside that, you know, when we show up to the world that they see with how we dress and how we do our makeup and our hair and all that stuff. But on the inside, that image of how we see ourselves on the inside, how we really see ourselves and how that affects everything else that we do in life, from how we speak to how we love to how we show up in this world and how the, how we can recreate that image of ourselves. You know, it's like we are the star of our movie and yes. we need to decide what kind of movie do we want this to be and right. make sure that what, what supporting actors do we want to play in this movie? You know, don't just allow people to show up into your life. But that right. self-image part is so important. It's huge. Whatever is in your mind about yourself, that is what you are attracting to you. Mm-hmm. Yes. So even if, you know, if you have a lot of negative people for per se coming at you, don't even be mad at them. Don't even worry about them. Think about what is it within your mind that's even attracting a lot of that. Sometimes we need to go through things for lessons, yes, but sometimes you have to look at what are you attracting to mm-hmm. based on, it may not be what they're bringing to the table, maybe something else, but the more positive you have in mind, the more positive you will attract. You really have to see yourself in in positive situations, see yourself in that positive, in a positive relationship, see yourself in a positive job, see yourself just, you know, meeting more and more um, positive people, having positive friendships, having every, every aspect of your life in, in a brighter light. Yes, I agree. And, And how you talked about seeing yourself, that vision part of it is the key to it because everything on earth is created twice. First in a vision, Yes. how we see things in our mind. Yes. And then second, in, in reality, in tangible things that we can touch and, and feel. So if we don't see ourselves in a good relationship, if we don't see ourselves being healthy, if we don't see ourselves moving, if we don't see ourselves being healed, if we don't see yes. things, then we can't manifest that to reality. Yeah, 100 I love it. So have you had any mentors or coaches that have helped you along the way? Absolutely. Absolutely. Ali Garrison was my first voice coach. Uh, my second voice coach was Angela Haleshka. And these women were not just vocal coaches for me. They were life coaches for me. They they started my, my work in being vocal coach myself, but also they shaped the way I coach. As That's why I call myself a holistic coach, because when you're a voice coach, you're dealing with mind, body, and soul of a person. Mm-hmm. There are coaches just deal with you know vocal creativity but then there's if you have emotional blockages you will not be able to produce sound your throat chakra will not go for you mm-hmm. and that has to do with what you're consuming it has to do with what we just spoke about how you're viewing yourself what you're thinking and so they put me on that path also a yoga instructor by the name of Sonia Tullock here in Toronto. And um, those are the main people. Definitely Brainerd indirectly was a big part. He was the director of Nathaniel at Corel. He really pushed some limits for me. And then even Paul Chakra, who was the boss of 1945, the band. These people for me who were um, my bosses or teachers were definitely spiritual and emotional mentors, whether they knew it or not. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe I viewed it that way because, you know, my teachers always told me I'm naturally a teacher. I have this teaching spirit to me. 
but I did view it in that way and I, and I appreciate all of them. They weren't the only ones, but those that's like groundation for me as far as getting to where I am now. I love how you say that, you know, you call yourself a holistic coach because of the whole mind, body and soul part of it. Mm-hmm. So my father loves to watch musical shows like The Voice and America's Got Talent and stuff like that. But when you pay attention to like the episodes where they show where they're being coached, And the coach is telling them to think of an emotional time, to think of a time where they felt a particular feeling and to sing from that point. It's like they're dealing with their emotional and then them being able to sing with that feeling. And because energy is transferable, the people listening to it can feel that emotion. We can feel that impact. And that's why when we listen to music, it affects how we feel. I love that. I, you know, I didn't even understand all of how that worked until recently. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. The more emotionally centered you are with a song, the more people will resonate with it. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you have to put yourself there and you have to be open to put yourself there. I wanted to touch briefly on something we had talked about in a previous conversation where, you know, you explained when you decided to make your transition into Rastafarianism because mm-hmm. you grew up in the church, what you had to deal with. Because I love to ask the women that come on the show, you know, what adversities have they had to experience? And everything that you shared with us so far has been, you know, an adversity that you've overcome. But I wanted you to speak briefly to that experience in you transitioning in from your beliefs, being Christian to Rastafarianism. Right. Difficult. Uh, People in church were um, very uh, uh, not nice. (laughs) (laughs) They're not nice. They, Mm -hmm. They just, they could, they just couldn't understand. That's, you know, religion will do that sometimes. We'll, make you feel like whoever is not on your side is not maybe worthy of you or of there was a complete division there's complete all the friends i had before in church are are not my friends today i would wow. say there's a, there's a couple people who have come around and they want to know how i was doing and they've been more open and i appreciate them because there's some people who literally look at me with a screw face wow yeah and i'm still the same person i've grown but you're still where you come from is still within you and mm-hmm. um, and the core of who I am is still there. And um, so it was a difficult transition. Even my family, um, that's why in Jamaica I lived on my own for most of the time because my family did not want me to be involved in anything that had to do with Rasta. They didn't want any Rastas coming to the house. They didn't. They, it was just no. And I, I couldn't handle the... Um, the constant fight. I didn't want my, my grandmother who was alive at the time. I didn't want her blood pressure to be rising based mm-hmm. on what she didn't understand or what my uncles were trying to tell her or whatever. So I left to, to keep the peace. Even now, I feel very open about all spiritual walks of life. And maybe it's because, I, maybe I view it this way because of the experience I've had with people who couldn't understand my, you know, I guess Tradu would say to a, a different spiritual center. But I feel like we're all serving the same God, we're mm-hmm. just calling him different, <laughs> different names. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. come on, you know. So <laughs> I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. There's like we're just, you know, it's just everyone has their preference of how they want to organize things in their mind. You know, mm-hmm. even today now with some of my family who still will not understand how I view things, I don't push it on them, and I don't. Right. Um, I don't expose them to maybe the core of my heart's beliefs because it's not necessary. What does that change? How does that Mm -hmm. change our relationship? How does that change me making dinner for you or, you know, or or lending you a car or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't change our human interaction. 
in fact, if we were both on spiritual paths, it should, it would enhance it because then we don't, we don't want any negative for each other. Right. right? We're, we're all just, spiritual we, beings. Yeah. Yep. We just yep. want positive for each other and that's it. No, when I do find someone who does, who's interested in some of the more technical things that I'm interested in, then, okay, we have other conversations that become fulfilling to me on a different level. If we're going to talk about Haile Selassie, if we're going to talk about Ethiopia, if we're going to talk about those things, that, that, of course, that's interesting, right? Mm-hmm. But those are facts of, those are historical things that we can debate. And like, there's some historical things out there that I don't know about that maybe if someone's going to have a historic conversation on Russia, I'm not very schooled in that. And so maybe mm-hmm. I would listen because I'm open-minded, but could I actually engage in full-on conversation? Maybe not because mm-hmm. it's just not my thing, right? Right, right. So I'm very open to everyone. I don't push anything on anyone. In fact, I might be in circles and I mean, depending if I slip, if, if you may not even know I'm a Rasta, if you don't assume by my hair, you may not even know if we had sit down and have a conversation because if it doesn't come up, it doesn't come up. It doesn't right. change our interaction. Right. 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 Um, or, you know, you don't see me wearing red, green and gold. You don't see me with my head wrap, whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But then you might go to my Instagram. You might see something. You might see that I went to some Rasta celebration. You might see that, like, you know, it was uh, Ethiopian New Year yesterday. You know, you might see yeah. little things like that. And that's how you will know. But our direct interaction, it doesn't have to be about that because life, it's a grand scale. And I think we're, we're, all, we're all truly the same. Everyone's on, um, everyone's on this and we can connect with anyone from anywhere at any time right yes. and it doesn't matter whether you what religion or spiritual beliefs that you you walk with i can agree with you 1000 percent because my father is a rastafarian and oh, cool. he started his his journey before i was even born my parents split when i was a year old and my mom later on in life became i'm going to call her a born again christian she is a heavy duty christian she studying her theology she's a minister so i've one parent who's extreme Rastafarianism and the other parent who's extreme Christian. And my belief is that religion separates. I have friends that are Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, Christian, like whatever religion, but at the basis, the core basis of it, my connection to them is love. And I know that we are all spiritual beings. So whatever form of love that you choose to believe that's you. I'm not going to judge you for it. I have friends that believe what I believe, but will not label themselves as Christian or any particular label because they too believe that religion separates. I attend church every Sunday and sometimes on Wednesday, but I do not, I refuse to be under that label church girl because when you were saying before, like, you know, how they treated you in the church, it wasn't nice to you when you decided to change your path. I don't want to be associated with those negative stigmas and titles. I'm a lover. I love people. I love God. You know, I I love to serve. I love to connect. Those are my beliefs. And Mm -hmm. I don't force my beliefs on anyone else. I do believe that there is a God. I do believe that all these religions, it is one God. We have just chosen to look at things differently. We have a different angle or perspective of it. So I don't, I don't judge anyone for it, but I wanted to make sure that you spoke on that because I believe that's an, that's an important part of your journey as well. Definitely. I think my spiritual path gave me, uh, I mean, you know, a lot of people say, even people I know, I, I met in Jamaica that year said, you know, you know, when you came, you came to find yourself. When I did find myself within myself, 
it, it was through my spiritual path and it gave me a confidence. And it's that confidence within self, that's what was I was able to hold on to. That's how I was able to hold on to my healing, mm-hmm. really. That's what made me feel, that's what made me broaden my horizons as far as who I am. And, and I explored from there and, and not to say that there weren't ups and downs after that, of course, it's life, <laughs> you know, where there's yin, there must be yang. So, but definitely that for me brought me to a place of wholeness within myself to push forward in a way that will always get me to the more positive side of the path quicker than when I was only viewing darkness. Mm-hmm. I love that. So what does your self-care routine today look like? Today, I wake up in the morning. Oh, I have my tea. I have my bottle of water. I have my tea. I have my smoothie. And I make my Irish moss for the afternoon. <laughs> and um, same for my parents. And then um, I work out about three times a week just at home. I'm not a, I probably eventually will do the gym thing. But I'm just doing some home, mostly body weight workouts. Um, mm-hmm. I found that it's recently it's really important for me not to put too much stress on my body. Too much heavy lifting can I, I come from a place of being a high stress person, so I'm mm-hmm. learning to manage that better. And working out too hard creates stress in my body and will create physical ailments based on stress. It would just mm-hmm. enhance stress overall. Mm-hmm. And so I'm doing that. I am I'm almost, I guess, January, December 30th makes a year I've been back in Toronto. So I, I've been building, rebuilding my life um, here. It's taken a while because I've been uh, first two quarters. It was more about my family, and now, yeah, it's I can focus more on myself. So I um I do a lot of auditions weekly. I do I have I did start teaching at the beginning of the year, so I have my students that are building. Um, I teach in Pickering, and I start my very first musical theater role in November, which I'm excited about. Nice, congrats. Thank you. And um and I'll continue to do my music. I'm I'm still meeting producers. I'm still trying to find my way as far as where I want my next project to go and with who. You know, when you're in a new place cuz Toronto is new again even though I was born downtown Toronto and I you know grew up here there's familiarity but so much has changed. So much has changed in the last 8 years I've been away. Mm-hmm. And um every time I go out I'm seeing places that I knew and they look so different. And even the traffic, oh my goodness, the traffic was never so bad. <laughs> eight years ago, it was not as bad. Like you mm-hmm. need more time to travel now than you did eight years ago. I understand the influx of people and people having kids and this and that. And it's just the city has grown in a crazy way. And so I'm exploring and rediscovering and building. It's exciting. It's it's pretty exciting what's been happening. So I make sure that I have some time to myself um, outside of the discovery, outside of the taking care of other people, because that's mm-hmm. a lot of what I'm doing right now. And it, those are energy um, suckers okay, for sure. Yep, yep. yep. But it's, it's hard work as well. So it's good, but I need downtime to meditate, to pray, to read, and um, to let my mind be still. And mm-hmm. that is important for my mind to just be still and not think of anything. And, and mm-hmm. not, I can't tell you I've been there this year at all, but I try. <laughs> and that, I guess, keeps sanity at a certain level. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. So I came across this article that I love to use. And so far, it's been pretty on point. The article basically says that your favorite type of shoe says a lot about your personality. So my question to you, Keisha, is what is your favorite type of shoe? Is it a boot, a running shoe, a walking shoe, a flip-flop, a 
pump, a I don't know. What's your favorite type of shoe? <laughs> I love an open toe heel. <laughs> Just an open because then I feel free and I feel I feel my posture is all right and and I'm I feel like I'm ready to perform. <laughs> okay, okay. So pump fans are boss women. Be honest, pump fan. You're a total girl boss and you know it. You're competitive, resolute, and intimidating to those who can't keep up with your pace. This is the most mature of all the shoes. It's someone who's caring, efficient, and powerful. They're usually in a leadership role. When everything is falling down around you, everyone will turn to the pump woman and say, what now? And then the pump woman will step in and kick ass and take care of business. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Does that sound like you? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Everybody turns to me. It's so true. It's so very true. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So before I go to the final segment of the show, I want you to tell people where they can stay connected with you online. Please connect with me on Instagram, Keisha Lee, K-A-I-S-H-A-L-E-E. And um, I am on Facebook and Twitter and all those places, but I'm most active on Instagram. And um, of course, there's my website where if you want to see my upcoming shows, um, I'll be at the Harborfront Center in all of December. Uh, I will have all of the direct links for them to stay connected with you in the details section under your episodes so they don't have to search too far. And for the final segment of the show, I call it a walk in her wisdom, where it's really just some reflection questions and you say the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life. Uh, Selected Speeches of Marcus Garvey. Mm. Can I ask why? Because he is such an advocate for empowering Black people. Mm -hmm. And we come from a place of, we don't come from that place, uh, not originally, but we seem to only remember being weak. And it seems to be something that is um, broadcasted. And and it's just, I don't know, it's something that we hold on to more than I've, a lot of other cultures. Mm-hmm. And so I think the empowerment of, of the Black nation is something that constantly needed because I feel like we are attacked in a different way. And so I appreciate his efforts and I, I, I appreciate... Um, him caring so much because he gave so much of himself, too much of himself, I think. Okay. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? Love yourself. I would say that because if people would love themselves, they wouldn't attack others. Mm, I love that. Totally believe that. What new belief, behavior, or habit has improved your life in the last five years? You know, I would just say... I'm just going to say holistic lifestyle with food and exercise. It's been more than five years for that, but it's, it's something that's really, it changes every year. It changes every year. I can say the picture, the view of my holistic lifestyle view is different every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I continue to push forward with that and, and, and find better ways to, um, to live. It's, it's unending educational journey. Mm. Okay. Last but not least. What have you become better at saying no to in the last five years? And that could be distractions, invitations, family. Oh, yes. I've definitely become better at saying no to people who disrespect me. Mm. I'm a very nice person. I don't like to um, upset anybody. I don't like conflict. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes, although I'm a strong person as well, sometimes I let people get away with more than they should in the past. Mm -hmm. And that is not loving myself. And so I've learned to flow more with what is more respectful to me by letting go of 
what no longer serves me, people, places, things, and yeah, and loving myself. It goes back to loving myself, really. Love it. Keisha, I want to thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us and sharing your story with us. I truly appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate being on. This was good for me too. <laughs> just to actually verbalize some of these things that have been, you know, in my mind. I have never spoken some of these things yet. And, you know, wow. sometimes like, I try to sometimes, but it, this has been very, very, um, very edifying for me as well. So thank oh, you. I love that. I lo- thank you for sharing that with me. Honestly, I've had so many women, like once we stop recording and they say to me, wow, you know, I've shared this for the first time on your show, or, you know, I've never shared this publicly before. Like that's actually really affirming to me. So thank you. I appreciate you so much. And to all of our faith walkers out there until next time, subscribe to our newsletter at awalkinmystilettos.com and grab a copy of one of my personal development books available online everywhere. And if you valued today's show, share it with a friend that needs to hear Keisha's testimony. Be sure to screenshot this week's episode and tag us on Instagram at Keisha Lee and at The Real McKinney Smith. Continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling. <laughs>